If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Do you know about Grapes, the wine company? Grapes is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. They offer a remarkable selection of wines and spirits. The breadth and depth of their inventory is astounding. Add in an unparalleled level of expertise and customer service, and you could see why other retailers are green with envy. Through their extensive and ever-growing network of relationships from around the world, Grapes, the wine company, offers the opportunity to discover the newest and most exciting wines and revisit the classics from both established and emerging wine regions. Grapes features a selection of over 4,000 wines and spirits. The Wall Street Journal has called Grapes one of the most influential retailers in the U.S., and it rings true to this day. Wine is a joyful thing, and Grapes the Wine Company exists to connect people with the choices bottles. Ordering is super simple using their easy-to-navigate website, or go old school and call to speak with one of their wine consultants for an in-depth feedback for your wine and spirits needs. Call them at 914-397-9463. That's 914-397-WINE. Or email your general inquiries to info at grapesthewineco.com. That's info at grapes, T-H-E-W-I-N-E-C-O.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a California native, a fine wine specialist, a businessman, and managing partner at Stoltman Vineyards, Pete Stoltman. Pete grew up on the central coast of California after his parents purchased 220 acres just north of Santa Barbara. That would eventually become Stoltman Vineyards. After high school, he traveled to the East Coast where he attended and graduated from Georgetown University, and he immediately entered into management at an industrial supply company back in Los Angeles before deciding to return to his first love, the family business. Before taking over Stoltman Vineyards in 2009, Pete spent three years training in winemaking in Australia and Italy, as well as working in fine wine distribution at the Henry Wine Group. 
He was awarded Fine Wine Specialist of the Year in 2008 at 26 years old, the youngest salesman to receive this award to date. Welcome, Pete. Thank you. Great to be here. Anything else you'd like to add to your illustrious achievements in life at such a young age? Let's talk about the bad stuff. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, you know what's so, much more entertaining. Of you know? course it is. Um, tell everybody you brought a bunch of wines. Tell everybody about uh, the wines we're, we're going to be drinking this evening, uh, or at least trying to drink. He's, he brought a he brought a grip of wines. I'm a big boy. <laughs> so what what do we got on what do we got on tap, man? Yeah, the the first wine uh, that we have in in the glass is actually my my favorite wine to to pop for people. And um, you know when when I'm you know showing wine a, a lineup of Stoltman wine, uh, La Quadria has to be in it. Um, it's really the soul of of who we are. Um, it's 10% of our production. It's a field blend of the entire vineyard. It represents each vintage because it is that field blend of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the profits go back to our vineyard workers. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then what's, uh, what are we going to, what are we going to get to after that? Love you bunches. The Thank you. <laughs> just, so we just met. Love you bunches. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, our, our number one wine. Um, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. It's our, our largest produ uh, uh, production, and it's only the fifth vintage. Uh, we are making Carbonic Sangiovese right. uh, as of 2013, just a little bit of it. And uh, we were at a wedding, and this name, Love You Bunches, came out of it and uh, slapped that on the label. It's actually Ruben, our vineyard manager, the godfather of my kids. Uh, it's his hand handwriting, which makes it even a happier wine for me. Mm. Um, and the Carbona fermentation, just it's a, it, we call it rosé con cojones. It's just <laughs> it's rosé with a little bit more depth. Right. Uh, drink it cold, yeah. um, low in alcohol. Can drink it all day and still behave at dinner. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I drink a lot of it, and uh, it, you know, it's you know, it's a blessing for us. You know, it's allowed us to grow a little bit, get a little more comfortable as a company and, and get even more fanatical in our pursuit of, of Syrah in the state. Nice. And then we have the Ballard Canyon Sangiovese. Now, I only brought this for you. I know. I love Calatalis. Go on and on about it. <clears throat> so I will tell you, I, you know, we were talking before. So I lived in Santa Barbara for 10 years. And like one of my first Calatalis, like was, it goes way back. It was 99. Moravino Barbera, which was delicious. That shit was like 14 bucks a bottle back then. And it was so good. And then, you know, I found, you know, and then uh, Bruno would come in with his Sangiovese. And Bruno, and Bruno's always a guy who's, Bruno's the guy who comes in and goes, yeah, put this on ice. Yeah, put the red on ice for 20 minutes. We drink, we drink, Americans drink their uh, red wines too warm and their white wines too cold, which is true. But it was just, he was just a funny guy. I'd walk in and I love <laughs> Bruno and Chris. You want to hear the best Bruno story I have? Yes. <laughs> All right. So 2008, my first official job for the vineyard. I'm still a rep down in Long Beach. And my job is to end, to terminate all of our unprofitable vineyard contracts, right? Because... We were, we were getting a big surcharge for the fruit we were selling, mm -hmm. but still it wasn't enough to, to you know, take care of our low yields. And then, of course, our full-time employment, employment, La Quadria, and couldn't get a hold of Bruno. You know, I had to tell Bruno we're raising the price for a ton of Sangiovese, not looking forward to this conversation. I was calling up all the godfathers, you know, Bob Lindquist, <laughs> and like, it, it was a shitty job, right? Yeah. But the idea was that... You know, we would cut out the unprofitable contracts. You know, get get the money we needed for the for the tons, and then our our production 
would increase and then I would be there to sell the wine, mm-hmm. right? So can't get a hold of Bruno. Finally, I just leave a message. I'm like, hey, Bruno, sorry to do this over a voice message, but the new price for, uh, for Sanchevese is this. Uh, give me a call back. Finally, he calls me back and he goes, you little fucker. <laughs> Next time I see you, I'm going to kick your little ass. I can totally see that. So brutal. Like, boom, <laughs> hung up. I'm like, all right, well, that'll be interesting next time we see each other. Months go by. You know, I move up full time to, to, to take over Stoltman. And sure enough, we're at an industry event and Bruno walks in. I'm like, all right, it's on. <laughs> and then so Bruno sees me and he walks straight up to me. I'm like, and he just looks up at me and he goes, ah, oh, you got big and walked away. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, because I know Bruno. He's not big. He's like, he's like, I would kick your little ass. So he's thinking you're still a little kid, like 14 right, and right. shit, right? And in, in his head. <laughs> right. And it happens to all of us. He was still that little pipsqueak yeah, running right. around playing with his German Shepherds <laughs> right. all day. That's fucking Yeah, because awesome. we, were, we were all in the, in the ghetto, you know? So yep. I, like, I would be playing with those dogs and just, you know, having a ball. And I, I idolized them. Yeah. You know, they had those big German Shepherds. They were having so much fun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I see them all the time. And, you know, I usually see them because we have little kids. So we show up to dinner early, right, with the kids. Yep. They're still at the restaurant from lunch. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that, was, that was that Santa Barbara life, man. That Santa Barbara, like, they, it bleeds. Lunch, lunch bleeds into dinner often. For Bruno and Chris. Yeah, for, for, for exactly. You know what I mean? Like, for certain people, you know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, Hendo. Always for Hendo, it would always, too. Mission Wine Brokers. Lunch would always bleed into late night at the Wildcat. Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, this is going to be a fun episode because it's like a walk down memory lane because you guys know Santa Barbara is like, kind of like my wine home only wine country I've lived in um, and I love it. So thank you for bringing that, that Cal Tally and, 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 you know, Sandia Basie is just, I think it does better in Cal. I think all those grapes, we have better weather than they actually do in Italy. So better soil. Anyway, I'm going to get shit for that. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. All right, man. Um, <laughs> let's start, let's start at the beginning. What was it like uh, growing up as a child of the eighties in a vineyard? CCC. Um, I did not. Okay. No, I grew up down in the Marilest neighborhood, uh, perched above uh, San Pedro and Long Beach. Okay. Oh, right. so okay. So you like you were summertime in the LBC. Yes. Very cool. Yes. Very cool. So tell us about growing up in LBC in the eighties, because like that's that whole we were talking about. You know, that whole kind of like um, sublime scene. You had um, you had. Snoop, you had, you know, you had all kinds of just stuff going on at Long, Long Beach back then. Yeah, yeah. So we were, we were a little bit sheltered um, from the true LBC. So we were over the bridge mm-hmm. and halfway up the hill. So we were right on the border of Rancho Palos Verdes and San Pedro, like little, little street. All the families had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just got into trouble. I had, I had two older friends. Um, Mike was two years older than me. John was three years older than me. John became, became a WWE star what? Under, <laughs> under the name Johnny Nitro and then John Morrison. Mike got into a load more trouble than what we were doing when we were kids, but it, apparently it's doing, doing good now. Just, you know, BMX biking, skateboarding, surfing, uh, you know, riding longboard skateboards down from the very, very top of Palos Verdes all the way to the to the harbor. Uh, it, was, it was great fun. That's gnarly. Um, 
There, 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 I, I went up there. Do you have peacocks walking around up there? Yeah. 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 Apparently, the Wrigley's had a big estate on top of Palos Verdes. Okay. They're mainly up there. Mm-hmm. But like one or two weeks a year, they would make it all the way down to our neighborhood. Yep. Annoying. The females <laughs> just like, I don't know if it's a mating call, but crack of dawn, they're going. Oh, my God. A peacock, you think it's all pretty on TV. That shit's pretty scary when they when those feathers go up in real life. Like, I see it one show, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> nice birdie. <laughs> so you kind of, you just had, you kind of had like that, that SoCal, I love it, BMX skateboarding, surfing. Do you surf? Do you surf? Now I'm a fair weather surfer. Okay. So <laughs> both, both of my winemakers are avid surfers, right? Mm-hmm. Matt just charges big waves. We were just all down in Mexico together, and I was in heaven, just, you know, nice little waist tie, fun stuff, and, and Matt was just bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, I, like to, I like to go to the warm water, uh, the less sharky water. Kyle, my lead winemaker, he was attacked by a female great white shark in 2008. If you, you'll see him on Shark Week if you ever tune in. Um, yeah, the, the shark uh, ended up getting the back of his board, and he was unscathed, cut right through the leash. Whoa. That same female... She'd grown a little bit. Two years later, she went up and did the same thing to a boogie boarder. But instead of the back of the board, the whole bottom half of his body. So nobody surfs at Surf Beach, Lompoc. Everybody goes to Halamano. But uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm, I still surf. You know, I, I, had to, I had to put it on for Matt and Kyle in Mexico just a couple months ago just to prove that I still have it. <laughs> but uh, on big stormy days, I will not be out at Halama. I'll be, uh, I'll be you know, at home cooking the kids' eggs. <laughs> That's nice. So, um, when you when you when your family lived down there, what what was your what was your like what did your father do for a living? Like, did like how did you like what did you do to then decide to go? He decided to go buy some uh, acres in Santa Barbara. What was he doing down in, in Long Beach, LA area? Yeah, I think to to talk about my my story, I think we we have to talk about my dad. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, um, it's a pretty incredible story. I mean, like. It, I mean, I, I love the man and just like his, his, his life and he, you know, he's 72 and, and still a character. Um, but, uh, he, he moved to LA when he was 17. Okay. From where? Uh, from Ohio, from Finley, Ohio, little oh, town. Oh shit. And it's one uh, of these stories. Yeah. And, and he and his buddies started a valet car parking company and the only area that they could really gain traction was the Hollywood Hills. And the, Wait, that's a pretty good place to gain traction. Right. Well, no, no established companies are right. willing to deal with it. Like the little winding, right, no right, parking right. anywhere, right, running right, up and right. down the hills. Right. So he and, he and his teenage buddies, no problem. Run, 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 run. And, um, and they're all private parties. Their only commercial account was the Playboy Mansion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> teenage boys. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, 1968. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Oh, yeah. And like these, these people were having parties every week. So my dad got to know them, right? Um, and what ended up happening, one of the producer's daughters was like really living the 1960s lifestyle. But they all saw my dad as like an entrepreneurial young guy. And the says like, Tommy, I, wanted to, I want you to take my daughter back out on a date. You know, take the Bentley. And that, that didn't work out at all. Yeah, I mean, he took her out on the date, drove the Bentley, but he was a square. You know, yeah, she, she, <laughs> like, she, he was boring, right? She wanted, she wanted like, the past like, life. Hey, listen, drop me off at my friend Charlie's house. Right. He's throwing a party. <laughs> Hugh Hefner's house. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, oh, man, the this, this stories from, from that era, like, one of his employees uh, rolled a Rolls Royce into Marina Del Rey. 
Um, my dad got shot in a holdup in the parking lot of Lowry's in Beverly Hills um, for a long time. I keep going. For a long time, um, you know, once they got a bit established, my dad had a, a late model bright yellow Porsche. And you just cruise around to all those different lots and and just make sure everything was cool. And I mean, me picturing my dad in that era, I'm like, wow, like <laughs> I would like to know him yeah. during that during during that era. Your dad's a badass. He's like like I don't know if he's like that's like the Marble Man incarnate. Like, I'm gonna go seventeen and leave Ohio, I'm gonna go out to California and I, and he got <laughs> well, and then there's some there's a really relevant note in that too, because a, a few of the guys were drinking first growth Bordeaux. And so my dad was like, all right, number one, he took note that like, if you're successful living up in the hills, you like fine wine, right? Mm -hmm. My dad had never seen wine before. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he asked one of the guys one night, he's like, why do you ignore all the beautiful women at your party? And you're over with your buddies in the corner, like fawning over this fancy French wine. And, uh, the guy looked at him, you've never had Bordeaux. <laughs> like, no shit. I'm 18. Like, and and so he took him down in the cellar, like, try this 47, try this 55, try that, try that. Put that in your closet, keep it cold. And um, right then, like, my dad was, like, on, onto it. He didn't get it yet, but he was like, all right, this is something, right? And he realized that if he was out on a date and he ordered a bottle of wine, the date was impressed. Yep. Right? Yep. The date went better because you have that wonderful social lubrication. Yep. Um, and so he started ordering bottles of wine. And, uh, yeah, it worked on my mom. My, um, so actually – they were both in law school at that point. Okay. And um, and my dad realized he was never going to pass the bar unless he sold his share of the parking business. So he was working all night, every night. Yeah. So sold his piece of the, of the business, married my mom, took a road trip up to Napa because he was that far into wine already. And right then my mom kind of put it in my dad's head like, hey, if you can already bullshit your way through a barrel tasting with a winemaker. Because back then you just walked into the winery and like trapped someone down. Yeah, this was this was like uh, before the uh, – because even – what's that? Si not sideways. The uh... – Judgment of Paris. Or, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah. like in that movie, like they didn't charge people for tasting. They're they like, there's British guys here. He'll, he's, he's offering money to taste wine. It was just like, yeah, sure. You want to taste my wine? Come on in. And there was no tasting rooms. Right. There were no fucking tasting rooms. Right. You know. Um well, the, you know, all that's so impressive, but who the fuck gets shot in the parking lot of Lowry's, man? It was a holdup. Wow. Yeah. At the steakhouse. Yeah. So he, they, uh, the guy was trying, so, you know, said, like, hey, give me all the money in the booth. And my dad was like, I just put all the t tip money t um, with the manager in the safe. Go take it up with them. Yeah. Fuck you. Give me your wallet. And the guy was trying to take two dollar bills out of my dad's wallet and the gun went off right into my dad's knee so my my dad army crawls into the lobby and the manager's yelling at him because he's bleeding all over the oriental or oriental rug right so he gets into an ambulance the first trauma play you know er mm -hmm. is full so they have to take keep on going in the ambulance that's when the shock wore off he's like <laughs> meanwhile they'd called my grandpa and my, my my dad's whole family was in southern california and um, and my grandpa just jumped on the freeway, and he made it. I think it was Cedar Sinai. He made it in like twenty minutes. Jeez, like <laughs> guy guy knew how to drive, right? right? And um, the story of that night goes that um, the bullet had shattered all over the femur and kneecap. Oh my so they were preparing to amputate, and then my grandpa showed up, and it's like no. And so the the story goes that you know two doctors are in on an in an elevator, the doors open. A nurse is getting on to go up, 
And the doctor's like, what's all the commotion? And like, oh, gunshot, uh, gunshot wound, uh, bullet shattered everywhere. They're amputating above the knee. And, um, and, da- and dad's making a big fuss. And they're like, hold on a second. They hold the door open. They go look at it. And like, nah, we're scrubbing in. Those two doctors had just gotten back from Nam. And we're like, dude, we do this all day. Wow. And my dad doesn't have a limp today. So, yeah. So I'm glad I took a deeper dive, man. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And that's then, incredible. Yeah, so, so dad became a, became a lawyer. Yep. And uh, Sued that hospital. <laughs> <laughs> no way. We love that hospital. I know, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but like, and, and their, their whole friend group was, and especially my mom's college friends were, a couple of them lived in NorCal and they were getting into the whole like Alice Waters, yep. like, you know, trying to find good ingredients, mm-hmm. cooking kind of simple, but great and drinking wine. And, you know, Kermit Lynch began to break and especially like in the early eighties, they were going up to the Napa Valley wine auction and like, it wasn't the private right, jet it, thing. Right, right. It's not, it wasn't, it wasn't like. A million dollars for a bottle of the setting by Jesse Cat. No, no. <laughs> to that point, my 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 dad and his crew they would always buy a barrel of wine for charity, mm-hmm. and it would end up being once they got the bottles and split them up, it was about the same as retail, but all the money went to charity. It's like why not? Nice, you know? yeah. And like and then Frog Sleep every year would have a keg party, <laughs> and it's like it was just like you know hot tub keg party. Like it was. And that was Larry time. Turley. Like, uh, have you left Frog Sleep then? I'm sure Larry Tur they went for a I'm long, sure, long yeah, duration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they, yeah. Yeah. they they stopped going in like the mid to late eighties. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was still there. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so um your parents both lawyers. I knew I would never pass the bar, so I stopped trying to take it. Um good for them. Um so when did they decide when did your family move up to uh did they move up to Santa Barbara before you went off to college or while you were in college? My parents just moved up full time in March of 2020 upon COVID shutdown in California. Wow! So they 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 were commuting back and forth the whole time. Okay. Yeah, we'd bought a little house in Solvang mm-hmm. in 2006. Okay. So I was the first to live there full time. We I was home for a summer working in a in a tasting room, um, and then and then Jess and I moved into that house in '09. Um, but yeah, my parent, you know, my dad kept working because he had to he had to support the uh, the crazy ambitious endeavor that he he embarked on. Okay. So um, <clears throat> we'll get into Vineyard, but I want to near March. So. Um, why did you come all across the East Coast to go to Georgetown for college? Yeah, so in uh, I got myself into a little little jam, and, and after I'd already gone into Loyola High School, okay. and uh, basically left myself without options. So like you know, I was really fighting going to all boys at school and commuting into into the Pico Union District of, of LA, right near right near uh, downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of took my own negotiation power away, <laughs> along with twelve of my friends. <laughs> and uh, so public school was no longer an option. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, all boys Jesuit school, which mm-hmm. was the best thing that that ever happened for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, great people. One third of the student body was on economic scholarship. Uh, we'd pick up John Dodsey from uh, from Watts every morning, drop him off. Got to know got to know the whole Hoover One Hundred Seven mm-hmm. neighborhood. Um, it just opened up so much for all of LA. Yeah, we had East Side friends out in, in Pasadena, West Side friends out in, in Santa Monica, just people who were in high school to 
to do great and yep. to, to move on and do big things. Yeah. And a lot of them are. And uh, I have a huge place in my heart for, for Loyola. And it's what I needed. Yep. I need I needed people not accepting my bullshit, you know. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm thrilled with the way uh, things worked out there. But if you get into G-Town and you're at Loyola, you don't say no. Right. right. Like, oh, big deal. You're going to Stanford. Like, you're going to Georgetown, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so, and I, I wanted to get out of California. Yeah. Like, I'm not really aware of my California accent, but apparently I have one. And, but imagine it back then. Like, I was so friggin' Californian. <laughs> I know. Like, like I, I, I was self aware enough to know that, like, I need to get out of here and, like, learn the culture. Mm -hmm. It's the only time I've been culture shocked in my entire life. Okay. Yeah. I have to imagine. Because um, I thought that's America. You know, no, like, and and it's and it's DC. I mean, DC is 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 as international as New York, but it's more compact because you have all the em uh, uh, embassies there. It's the seat. I mean, it's it's it is the heart. I mean, it's the capital, right? Like, and uh, it's where the action is. It's where shit happens. And then it snows. Well, it doesn't snow too much in DC, but your first snow was that like winter. What was your first winter like? Bro? Oh, dude, my. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, my, my, my freshman year roommate, was uh, from Westchester, and uh, the funniest thing is when I walked in the door of the little dorm room, and he just looked at me like, what the fuck? You know, I was wearing a tank top and board shorts. I, I like, had my skateboard with me, like, big old duffel bag, and, like, and he's a little guy. I'm a huge guy. And like, we became very, very tight friends, but like, I remember asking him like, in September, I'm like, hey, this is just a really like fluke cold snap right we're gonna get a nice indian summer and it's like no this is like the beginning <laughs> and then he's like pete you better buy a jacket <laughs> that's so funny um what'd you major in out there did uh international business and marketing double with an english minor cool and uh like what was that i mean because another thing is um I don't know how good Georgetown, but like it, you know, when I was in, when I was a teenager, Georgetown was a great basketball school. Like it's like whole, but it's great basketball everywhere. But like, what was it like to go to a school that like had like a reputation of like, you know, having a good basketball program? That was really funny. So like I told like especially all the Pedro guys, I told them I was going to Georgetown, and they're like, cool, like great great basketball team. They had no idea it was a good college, you know? <laughs> like, right, right. Like, I mean, yeah, that's the thing, right? People, like, I didn't realize. When I was when I was a kid and I lived in Jersey and you're like 13, 14, you're watching, you're like you just you like I'm like oh it's a basketball school and then I'm then you know as I got old I'm like oh it's a Jesuit school and it's blah, 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 you know what I mean like and then you start seeing you know Marymount like you start to understand Fairfield like these are really good schools it's not it's you know it's not UNLV these are actually really good schools <laughs> you know um, where stuff happens so that's that's cool so um, when you went there um, did you did you know you're going back to LA? Were you going to stay on the East Coast? What, like, what, what, what? When you're graduating, you're ready to graduate. What was going on in your mind? Yeah, I mean, well, going there, all options were open, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the world, you know, shit, you're a kid, right? Yep. Like, and one thing that really got me excited about Georgetown was their international program. You yeah, know, school of foreign service. Like, you can land anywhere out of Georgetown, and um, so yeah, all options were open. Um, but by the, by the time I graduated. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't passionate about any one given like, okay, I'm going to pursue that. I knew I didn't want to go into banking. Mm -hmm. A bunch of my friends were going that direction. I did like one interview up here in New York. I'm like, uh, no, not, not for me. Um, you know, went to a bunch of different things and, um, I finally took a job that I thought sounded really cool where it, um, 
I would walk right into a management position, mm-hmm. which I thought, cool, like, you know, I can, you know, be a leader, I can, uh, you know, like implement change. And that was like how, how the job was built. And it sounded great. They were going to match the banking offers. Like, and I negotiated moving back to LA. Okay. Cause then I was starting to get the itch, like, you know, what? like New York probably isn't for me. Like, mm-hmm. and so yeah, um, yeah, jumped back to LA and, uh, jumped into a real job. Like both me and my high school buddy were like on the same page. Like, we were done with college. Like it was four years of that. Like now we're ready to get to work. Um, so we both early accepted and started like early June, uh, moved into an apartment together. And the idea is, all right, let's get on with the rest of our lives. Let's start, you know, building careers and, and go. Um, and then it turned out like the job was miserable. Like, <laughs> so that was the, uh, what was that? It was a, uh... industrial supplies. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, I, I made a few great friends and I still see a couple of them and, and keep in touch with them. Um, but I, I was just living for the weekend. Like every weekend we'd cut out down to Baja, like crash on Sunday night in San Diego and then drive before traffic oh and show God. up and thinking that like, okay, we'll be ready to work and just trying to stay awake. All, like, and what, what, what was really like what brought me down about that is like I knew I wasn't doing a great job. Mm. Like I knew I was just like getting through the work week, you know, trying not to fire people over 0.25 slips and error rates and all that stuff because I was managing the sales floor, and um, and yeah, like I I knew that this was not for me. And at the same time, I realized because like, like that job is on to build. Like do two, three, four years here, you're gonna get you can get into any MBA program, right? Mm-hmm. And then do the next thing, mm-hmm. right? And I realized I didn't want an MBA. Like I'd done undergrad business and like to me, everything was very common sense. I love Harvard business school case studies. Like yep. they, like I would read a book of them, you know, um, but they're, they're just entertaining to me and like everything. It's like, yeah, you should do this, that and that because that's what makes sense. And like, I don't need to do another two years in school, more of that. I've already done four. Um, and then at the same time during that whole two year uh, stint, Every Tuesday night, I would go do my laundry at my parents' house and have family dinner. Okay. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to use my apartment complex <laughs> laundromat, you know, when mom and dad were just over the bridges. Um, so, and it was great, you know, to keep in touch. My sister had yet to move uh, to Ireland, so I would catch up with her and my brother-in-law. Um, but every Tuesday, like, my dad was more and more stressed out, mm. like, so what had happened is, and I alluded to this, like with, with Bruno, mm-hmm. you know, he originally only wanted to be a vineyard, mm-hmm. right? And he thought if he could find a great vineyard manager, which yep. thank God he did, Ruben, mm-hmm. everything would work out. Like, right. you know, and, and it would be very simple, sell fruit by the ton, yep. gravy, right? Yep. But it wasn't working out. So my dad dug himself a deeper hole, um, you know, building out a winery hiring a young, talented winemaker, the the great Sashi Mormon, uh, who was like 27 at the time. Uh, but what he did, he like put a hole in his, in his you know, money coming in mm-hmm. because he wasn't selling all the fruit. And then he put all this more, all, you know, building out the winery, packaging, everything that goes into actually vertically integrating. Um, so by the time, you know, I got out of college, it was just like, wow, like second mortgage on the family home, personal credit lines. And I'm just like, Dad, your model's broken. It's like, uh, no shit. <laughs> I'm like, well, I hate my job, right? I love the vineyard. Because my, my parents bought the land in 1990 okay. when I was eight. Mm-hmm. And, like, I grew up, like, 
you know, hanging out with Ruben and his brothers and La Quadria and eating tacos, drinking beer when I was far too young. And <laughs> just loved everything, riding the ATVs around. I was driving the Jeep around when I was like 12. Like it was, it was an adventure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I was, I was proud of my dad for like this time. I'll never forget. I was sitting next to Jim Clendenin. Um, Rest in know, peace. Amen. And um, we, were, we were talking to a group from Japan. And we were talking about the, the phases of Santa Barbara, you know, like Jim, Bob, Adam Tolmach, Lane Tanner, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, like they were generation one, right? And then the second generation came in, beginning kind of with my dad and through the 90s. And Jim said, you know, like what Tom did was so ambitious, like to, to launch in on this 220-acre parcel. And the, the initial planting plan was 152 acres, right? And uh, to hear that coming from Jim, like who is – was the most important person in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just he really made us worldwide. Um, I got I got the chills that like Jim had that kind of respect for for what my dad jumped out on. Um, and but backing up, like I, you know, I, I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to let you lose this, you know. And um, that's when I decided to, to quit my job and 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 jump into wine fanatically. Yeah, he was literally living that expression. How do you make a small fortune in the wine business? Start with a large one. The problem is, is a joke. <laughs> no, the, the problem was this wasn't large enough. Right, exactly, you know? exactly. <laughs> um, oh man, um, when did you, um, when did you do stints in Australia and Italy? Was this uh, be, uh, after you decided to come on board full time? Um, how how did that uh, evolve? Yeah, so. My dad and I both knew that I wasn't ready to, and I certainly couldn't come into you know this fledgling company where people you know Sashi super passionate, you know our, the our taste room people were super passionate. Quadrilla is so good, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And it's like isn't it retail like twenty bucks a bottle? Yeah, you can find any like twenty two, twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, delicious. Um, this should be a little cooler, but I love this. This is like the love you bunches is like, like you said, it's carbonic, so it's like, you know, it it's. Kind of crew Beaujolais. You, I like you guys said it's a, a fuller rosé. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like literally, I have had this. Like, I had this in Richmond, Virginia, a couple of years ago, 2020, and I took it down there, and I just left it on ice, you know. And it was, it's just, it's just crunchable. It's just crushable. Anyway, I, I digress. So, um, yeah, you knew you weren't ready. Yeah, I can walk in there as Daddy's boy, and you know, piss off everybody who he had hired and who he already was in love with and you know um so i i needed to go learn get get street cred you yeah. know yep. um and i needed to learn production fundamentals um and that'd be a good idea to like get away you know from from stoltman from you know that interference and um get 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 down under and um you know we joke around now um i learned how not to make syrah what they, what they well because if you were if you, at that time they were still they were in the park that was grateful palate times it was like 18 percent alcohol mate like just yeah, big I, over the top i i ended up representing grateful palate at henry but yeah this is oh, <laughs> this is oh, oh, 06 this yeah. is halicon like this is like the last really good vintage because then oh seven through 11 were very challenging um heyday of you know, all, all the wines you made got 99 points, yep. you know. Yep. Um, and then, and then of course, the economic crash of 0809, the Australian currency stayed really high because of Chinese mining, the influx of money going in, yep. which caused them to crash harder. And that was right timed 
with the worldwide glut of Syrah that was supplier driven, not not market driven. Like Syrah will grow in the outback of Australia. It'll grow in Cote d'Ivoire. So let's plant it because we know we're going to get a merchantable crop. But people didn't necessarily understand it or want to buy it. And all of a sudden, all this Syrah from around the world was on the market. Oh, and P.S. the entire global economy just collapsed <laughs> and that was right when i took over uh Stolman. but yeah and then um i was like alberto antonini mm-hmm. um had been consulting with us and it just worked out timing whenever i was home from break on georgetown it was like winter break when alberto would come and you know i fell in love with alberto just so smart and um alberto would be in to kind of like figure out like you know, Sashi's crazy ideas were would actually work, and then, <laughs> and then my dad could decide. And they all, you know, and and you and almost always Alberto was like, yeah, you should do what Sashi wants to do. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I got a job with Alberto and Chianti making Sangiovese. It all makes sense now. <laughs> um, what was it like um, being this this tall redhead from America, like both in Australia and Italy, like like. I mean, you're, you're a striking figure, anyway. You're, you know, what you, you, oh, go you on. Could, you could play. You could play. You could. You, you're like Dwayne Wade's twin. <laughs> <laughs> you're Dan Ringer. We're the same person. I know. <laughs> oh my god. No, no. It's funny you say that. So Australia, boom, like right in with the boy. Like it was, right. I was one of a four-man team. Yep. And like I loved those guys. We had so much fun. Like one of our custom crush clients, every day at three, would show up with a slab of Cooper's Pale Ale. We'd throw it on the dry ice and start drinking beer while we're pressing right. and pumping over and, and inoculating right, everything. Right. And um, and it, it, we worked so hard. But, you know, you forget how tired your feet were. Like, right. it was just, I remember the camaraderie, getting it done, like, just all, all like, the the funny terms and the the name calling. <laughs> I mean, my, my name was see you next Tuesday from my boss. Like, that's what he called me. Like, <laughs> see you next Tuesday. Like, no, but, in the, you know, the abbreviated form. Like, that was, that was, is, hey, blank. Yeah. Like, you do that pump over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, on the way to work, on the way to work, like, because of, you know, they drive on the wrong side of the road, like, he would always be on the phone because he had his own fledgling project on the side. Yep. And he'd be, like, calling pigs while he was driving, and I would just shift for him because it was so natural. <laughs> That's the right side. You know, that was how you shift. Um, I just got it in. I didn't even have to look at his foot on the clutch. I just, like, <laughs> boop, 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 every day to, on the way to work and on the way home because I lived with him. And, um, yeah, it was it was an amazing stage. And then in Italy, then I was a fish out of water. Yeah. Like, and the, the irony, or I don't know if it's an irony, Um the my boss there was a redhead with brown eyes just oh. like me because I'm, I'm my mom her family is from like kind of outside luca okay so it's the same kind of viking invasion gotcha. that allowed gotcha. allowed the redheads mm-hmm. to show up and um and it was like oh my god everybody must have thought you were brothers i'm like no 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 like he came up to like my waist <laughs> like, <he> was... <laughs> that's cool man so um before you decided to take over or you know you you, you kind of pitched your dad um had you when did you work at henry wine group which was which is like a for like and and when i was in california like legendary book um you know we were joking for it like they, there was a guy who was a rep in, in santa barbara who's legendary antonio shout out to antonio i love that man yeah everybody loves everybody loves antonio everybody yeah. loved antonio you know um how'd you hook up with the henry wine group 
So I got home after the Italian Vintage, yep. and um, I was hoping to get a job with uh, Jim Knight at the Wine House. You know, legendary, you know, top five retailer in the country. Yep. Um, but I got home too late. And he's like, dude, I had to get help before Thanksgiving. I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, so I got a job at BevMo. Because mm. <laughs> um, I, I wanted a little wine retail because I knew I was missing that. I'd worked in restaurants. Retail is and... important. <clears throat> right. And yep. uh, so I had my green shirt and my dirty khakis on every day. Wow. That was really, it was really <laughs> funny. So like, you know, like I knew I was just going to work all this at, at BevMo. I already had a restaurant job at Lopra La with Chris Levine, whose name has come up before. Um, so I was working banquets at night and then working at BevMo during the day. So like I didn't go out and buy more khaki pants. I've never been a big khaki pants kind of guy. So I had like one pair, right? And they only gave me like two green shirts. So I I looked bad, right? And I was working like I was working like you know sixteen hour days between the two. Yeah. And I'll never forget like towards Christmas, a girl that I had dated in high school walked in. I just wanted to melt into the corner, <laughs> and you know, she looked at me. Hey Pete, and I could just read, like, wow. Off to Georgetown, were you? <laughs> I would have took that one. I'm like, I would have took that one. I'm like, hi, welcome to Bevmo. Right? We're gonna help you with the day. Uh, hi, I'm Pete. <laughs> you know, no, but I, I know that is. I listen. We all go through that, like yeah. with, with that. Like, I think I think it's really my appearance more than anything that, like, I, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I didn't, I didn't have any self pride in my. <laughs> you, I, to your defense, you are. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm like, here's this guy. His parents are both attorneys. They own a vineyard. He went to Georgetown, and he's working sixteen hour days. That's impressive. A lot of, lot of, lot of people. Um, would not do that. Yeah, I'd worked up a little credit card debt in Italy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was in, I was I was just on a pure stage, um, and you know I had it like you know a friend would come visit. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go to that uh, Antonori restaurant right. like, and, <laughs> and try every every Antonori great wine by the glass. Like you can't pass up that. I mean, we shared the glasses. But yeah. Then, hey, I tried Guadal Tasso and all the crazy stuff. Oh, I'm man. like, wow. Like okay. Yeah. So you know, and then I had to get to work when I got home and pay the credit card. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I worked. I, I so after holidays, I got rid of Bevmo because um, okay. I was just making so much more money working in the restaurant, um, L'Opera, great restaurant in downtown Long Beach, uh, for Chris Levine, um, who's with Broadbent now, and um, and he he promoted me to the actual dining room uh, after the holidays, and every and now that I was off the retail floor and the holidays were over, I started looking for a distribution job. Okay, and it was a big uh, handicap that it was very clear that I was trying to prepare myself to work for sure, the Sure, 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 sure. So people so, are like, you're just angling, kid. I'm going to hire you. You're going to work here for a year or whatever, right, right. and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna bounce. Yeah, so yeah. I, went, I went on an interview with Henry finally uh, for they, – they split downtown L.A., Mm-hmm. So it's a total grower territory, you know, like not not a great oppor- not a, not a great opportunity to walk into, right? Um, and that manager told me straight up, like, hey, like, you know, we, we get it, but so if we do hire you, you need to give us a rock solid two year commitment. I'm like, done. Like, I I and I knew about Henry's education. Peter Neptune was in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I was gonna learn so much. And like at that point, because it had been wild. It's already in like April, right? Mm-hmm. That I was still working at Lopra. Every day, like on the websites, looking for jobs, calling people, and Henry was what I wanted, you know, for the book Kermit, Wine Boat. Everybody yep. was in it, yep. and then on top of that, like I knew about the education program, and I knew that's what I needed just to like work on my international palette, work on my knowledge, and um, you know, if one day I was going to be out in the world representing Stoltman, I needed I need to know my shit, and like actually like, 
anyway, so I get called by the by another manager. I'm like, hey, we hear you interviewed in in downtown LA, and I just I wanted that job so bad. I would have worked for free, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, yeah. So why are you calling? Did I not get it? He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. The the rep in Long Beach were promoting him up to HQ. This is a much bigger territory, more established, and you get a train with that rep for a couple of weeks before he departs. But, you know, come interview with me. I'm like, okay, okay. Like, and so I ended up getting Long Beach. And, um, yeah, it, it was a, a wonderful two years. So <clears throat> so for some of our listeners, I, we got listeners who are in all facets of the business. Um, tell, tell people about what it's like selling wine on the street. Pounding the pavement. That's <laughs> what I did today. Yeah. Hey, yeah. You know, subway out to Brooklyn, back to Manhattan. Um, no, you're, you're, you know, you create, you know, a, a variety of samples that either have been requested by retailers and restaurants in your territory or new stuff in your book that you're eager to show. You make your appointments for the day and you go out and usually start with retail in the morning because they're open. Yep. And, and, you know, uh, you, you need to know everything about each wine, uh, especially back before tech notes were on every website and rah, rah, rah. Um, you know, you, you need to know the background, the approach, uh, the thinking of the, the winemaking. You need to know the viticulture. Uh, you need to know everything about that region. Um, and you need to, you need to know how to sell it, you know, and you, then because of that, you need to know how it fits in relevantly to the competition, right? Wines that are both in your book and in your competitors. And, um, and then after you, you answer all the questions, you shut up and the pricing's in front of them and you let them buy the wine. <laughs> and you do that eight times during the day and then go home and, and plan out, you know, next week. So, um, like, that's what was it like to be like back in Long Beach and now you're selling wine? Because like, like I get downtown LA, like that's like that's I I grew up, but like that just seems like it's like, oh my god, this is the dream job before my dream job. Um, I mean, so so excited, like, and I mean, I remember like the first GSM I went to general general sales meeting. There's Peter Neptune out, like, and Peter Neptune was an actor in his in his former life, and you know I'd already had to study like the previous month that I didn't actually get like sit for the education, and you take your test first thing in the morning at like eight a.m. in the morning, and then and then you get an hour of Peter Neptune talking about a region, and you're surrounded at a lot of those reps like Antonio, they're they're lifers, right? Yeah, they're they're up to my parents' age, and now you're you're you know you're a rookie, but you're basically a peer. And I just like I was so proud to to sit among and be part of this, and um, that carried over to like being out in the market, just hyped up, like ready to kill it. And within within the first month, like I knew like I'm gonna be good at this, and that was a great feeling too. Especially because the the first you know two years out of college, it's a really shitty feeling not not to be good at your job, right. you know, like, and to get seen by an ex girlfriend in a grimy green <laughs> Bev mode. Dirty one pair oh, of khakis oh, wearing. Then, <laughs> so the only like, in that first month, like I was bummed out. Like I, my manager emailed me and I said, "Oh, like next Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. corporate training in a conference room in some hotel. You got to be there. Like very important, mandatory." I'm like, oh, nine hour day with all the management. Ugh. And I walk in and there's this beautiful girl sitting across from me. I'm like, oh. Eight hours of captive attention. 
And that is Jessica, my wife. I was say, I, I knew this, I'd say, I love it. Like, he's like, he's like, he wasn't Pete's doodling. He's like, Pete, he's drawing hearts. Pete loves Jessica. Oh, my, do, my, <laughs> my, my doodles at Henry are, they, they, were, they were prolific in those meetings. I'm, I'm quite the doodler. I remember senior year of high school, like, you know, we, I'd already gotten to college. And I remember like my history teacher was like, Pete, two options either doodle or go to sleep. Just don't disturb my class. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, legendary training and you, you said you were feeling it like a month in, um, and you got quite good at this quite good, right? Like you were, you're the youngest person to ever win fine wine special of the year award. Yeah. That was, that was a really cool day. Like, and, and you know, it, it's always good to get that third party, like, you know, you're feeling like you're good at it and you're seeing like every month that your numbers are climbing in to that, you know, to the lifers and you're like hanging with them and even like moving up, up the pecking order each month. And then, um, yeah, I remember Fred Reno was in charge of Henry at the time. He had these huge hands and I remember like he announced the award and walked up and he gave me the envelope and the plaque and just like, and he had these massive hands and just shake my hand. I'm like, like I couldn't, you know, like it's one of those moments where, you know, you, you just won the award over everybody in the room, but you just can't help to just my open mouth smiling. And then it's really cool that Jess won uh, most growth that year too. So we were like the power couple, right? Like, and we would help each other all the time. Like, yo, you do, you check that new vintage, like pull it, pull it, like show it. And so we were, we were a total team every weekend we were together and, you know, managing to take long weekends together because Mondays. And wholesales, you know, they're usually in office days. Yep. So yep. she had like the Malibu Thousand Oaks Westlake territory, and so we we weren't living together or anything. But it's just like young love, passionate about your job. You know, just it was is like if I have any advice for like anybody who's second generation or anybody looking to like further their their career in wine, that it's often forgotten. But to be a wholesale rep, it, it, you learn so much. Um, I mean, it's, I think the most crucial thing to do, even if you're not going to do it for a career to do it for at least two or three years, um, I'm, I'm, that, that, that is definitely the most important thing I did in, in my training. Right on. So let's talk about Jess. So like, <clears throat> obviously for you, it was love at first sight. So like, <laughs> like, like, the, like what happened? Like you had lunch break, you, 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 you like watch your weight and get behind lunch. Like, Oh, what are you having there? Chicken salad? Or like, like what, how to do you, you're closer <laughs> than you think. <laughs> So it, obviously, you know, you know, I'm I'm, I'm batting out, batting out of my league, admittedly, right? <laughs> right? So I, you know, nothing happened after that corporate training meeting. Right. But being being up up north in Ventura County, um, her friend on her team would pick her up because she had a territory up in in Paso, and they would carpool down to the meetings, and she mentioned that she had corporate training with me, and she thought I was kind of cool. Well, Allie, her her colleague, is a redhead. And she decided to be my wingman without, oh. without me knowing. Okay. She was, oh, okay. So they sat right behind me the next morning and it was like all the high-end champagnes. And they started talking shit to me because I was spitting them. You know, I was still like buttoned up, driven, like, Pete, don't be a pussy. <laughs> Swallow your champagne. And I'm hearing, like, I, you know, I'm hearing this from behind me. I look around, this, this redhead and this blonde talking shit to me and, all morning and then they're behind me in the buffet line and <laughs> and Allie is like Pete what what are you up to tonight I'm like oh I'm, I'm going up to Manhattan Beach hanging out with all my friends um well like where are you gonna be I'm like oh we usually wind up at the poop deck 
in, in her, in way, her to impress, way to impress a girl. <laughs> well, it's the the married redhead talking. Yeah, you know, well, like, I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm not thinking that this is coming on behalf of the blonde right, of, right, of the right, girl right, who, right, right. and um and and they're like oh my god we're staying at a friend's in in Redondo Beach you know like. I love the beaches, Manhattan. Yeah. It's that's so cool down there. My, my buddy John McConnell used to love. He would whenever we'd be in a long uh, car ride, he would make me recite all the beach cities from the Tijuana border all the way up, and he'd repeat them, trying to mimic my accent. And like Redondo, <laughs> Hermosa, Manhattan, <laughs> Huntington. <laughs> So that night, that night we're hanging out, just being idiots and in our twenties, just yep. hanging out like at my my friend's flop house, and um, which has long been torn down. And I, I start getting calls from from Ali, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, like we'll be at poop deck, like yeah, see you later. Rah, rah. All of a sudden, Jessica's calling me, and I turn to my best friend and I'm like, Tommy, like it's the like it's the one I want. This is a girl. This is a girl. This is a girl. I'm telling you guys about. I'm super excited about. And, and I'm telling you about. And like, oh shit, she's fucking calling me. Exactly. <laughs> And so I pick my flip phone, like, hey, we're at the poop deck. Where are you? Close the flip phone. Boys, they're at the poop deck. we got to go. <laughs> and everybody's like, uh, in a minute. Right. And Tommy's like, take my beach cruiser. Go, 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 go. Pushes me off. And, um, yeah, I don't need to go into every detail of that beautiful evening. But um, <clears throat> the next weekend, we ended well, up well, going. Well, well, what turns you on? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Fulfillment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was not fulfilled that night. Okay. <laughs> she made she made me work for it, and, and I was more than happy to work for that's, it. That's that's so funny. That reminds like it takes me back to Goodwill Hunting when Robin was just talking to him. He's like he's like you you didn't go see the game six. He's like nah man I, I, was, I had to go see about a girl. Like you're like you're, you're like you had a good friend. He's like what kind of friend? He's like you're like take my bike go right. You know because because you could have somebody like bruh. She'll be there. Yeah. Chill. That's a yeah. good friend, man. Yeah, I'd already talked her up, so <laughs> he, he knew. Yeah. And and then um so then like this courtship ensues and um you said you guys used to like study together and, and like cause you said you won your award and then she won growth. So like what was what was well, here's another one. What was the synergy between you two? <laughs> No, I mean, we, we were just, we were having so much fun. Yeah. And, and you know, you, it's that, that thing that you realize how big the world of wine is. Mm -hmm. And it's just like out there to explore. And we had this curriculum that we could revert to. Like, oh, like I need to take out something from Loire, you know, tomorrow. Like, boom, dive into the curriculum, you know make sure you make sure you know what you need to know um and just like try different wines start to blind taste you know learn the grid like you know bec becoming a wine professional mm -hmm. which is it was like you know this whole different world truly opening like we were vaguely aware that it was there and but we didn't we didn't know much about it and then as you get deeper and deeper and deeper it's just it, it, it's addicting yeah like to and and as you learn you learn that you you don't know anything and you, you know um and so that and then and then you're actually you're making money like and you're working for commission so like the you know the better job you do the better you get paid and you're making relationships and you actually like the people mm -hmm. and like you get a btg from chris levine like and you're like yeah <laughs> like um and do a staff training where you used to work you know like it's just like ev cool. everything about it was just like yeah i mean the especially you know 
then what happened next, like I look back at those two years, it's like, it was simple. Like all I had to do was be great at my job, sell wine and, and be happy. Mm. Um, so I look, I look back at my days of Henry just with nothing but nothing but happiness. You know, this is a good time to take a quick break. Um, we'll be right back everybody with more of, with more Pete Stolman. All right. Are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrones from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. It's no secret that everyone's wine education journey is unique. You deserve a wine school that not only delivers top-notch content, but also guides you on a learning path that's right for you. So whether you're looking to earn your WSET certification or just get the basics without the stress of certification in their Wine 101 or 201 courses, the Napa Valley Wine Academy is a place to be. Go to NapaValleyWineAcademy.com for more information. Okay, we're back. So you had this amazing two years. Like It was like... like it's like a Green Day song. I hope you had the time of your life, right? Um, and um, when you finished your time there, uh, what was it like? That was that was like okay? Now it's time to go up to Santa Barbara, and uh, yeah, you know, by run well, run the shit. By the time O N D, what we call fourth quarter, mm -hmm. um, was approaching, and you're like, okay, my commitment's up next April. Um, but uh you know the the storm clouds began to gather that fall um you know and i was vaguely aware of the stock market but you know it had yet to affect mm -hmm. uh, my territory my sales were still really good um but then uh my dad tells me we got a letter from from the bank and they're not going to renew any of our credit lines and all of our credit lines are up in february of 09. and like here i am like in the middle of fourth quarter holidays and I mean, your world's shattered, you know, like all that money is in, in, in barrel, you know, and, yep. and unless you do have that large fortune, yep. you rely on credit lines, you know, like right now we just finished pruning for the 2022 vintage. We're not going to sell some of that wine until 2024, yeah, five, yeah, 24, yeah, 25. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Some, oh, Jesus. Right. So, you know, that, you know, like devastation and, um, and so like, you know, part of what I was doing at that point, like made, made a PowerPoint deck, like started cold calling banks, you know, knowing that our, our bank had made up their mind, they were getting out of our portion of business and they didn't really have any reason to keep financing us as we weren't, you know, we were barely operational profitable depending on the year. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in a really bad spot. Um, so my stress level was definitely building and I was st started to spend more hours outside of, of my Henry job that I loved so much that I really wanted to focus on on what was more important about like finding a way out of this. Um, and then sometime around January of 09, um, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, fuck. Yeah, have a sip, man. 
I needed a happy wine, like love you bunches. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so fresh, it's perfect. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, both my parents died of cancer, so yeah. I, I, it's, I'm glad your dad's still yeah. with it because it's a gnarly fucking disease. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm taking over a company in default. <laughs> my dad's turned into chemotherapy and then surgery and then radiation, so he's out for the year. Um, and that mean, also means it's out of being a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, you know, what could save us, like, oh, dad wins the trial. We right. can we can juice some money into the company. Right. That's not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, so uh, a, a lot of stress. So I go ahead and I know I need to throw myself into this. And, um, yeah, so April of 09, I jump in, move up. Uh, thank God, in a stroke of mad luck, Jess gets a job for national sales at Zach and Mesa. Oh, sure. And, uh, and within a couple months, she's like, hey. Like, I know you, like, you're, you're, you don't even have internet, cable, nothing at your place. Like, I'll pay utilities. <laughs> like, we need to move in together. You, you're like, you're going to max out your credit cards. I'm like, please. <laughs> like, so not the most ram romantic way of, of moving in together. But, um, let's be honest. For most people, that's what happens. It's like, you know what? We're probably keeping two places. We broke as hell. Let's <laughs> be honest. But anyway, yeah. It's the New York story, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely a New York story, like, because it costs so much. But, like, I love about, like, she had your back. Oh, like, you know. She's got your back to this day. You know, you think about that, like, it was 50-50 for 16 months. Mm. And just, like, she was there. Like, you know, and she helping me, like, give me leads that she, like, placement wasn't quite right for Sakame. So, yo, you need to, like, not even an active account in Stoltman. Like, I was there the next day. Right. And, um... Yeah, and then like in the middle of 09, I've, I haven't really talked about Ruben much. Um, We're gonna, but, yeah, 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 but but so you know Ruben, like I've known since I was six, you know, and and he's the youngest out of eleven, um, born in you know in a two room house in rural Jalisco. Um, his oldest brother Jose, who passed uh, last year, um, he was the village school teacher, mm. and Ruben being the youngest, like the baby. Uh, Jose made damn sure that Ruben learned decent English. Yep. And then Ruben followed uh, Enrique and Marcos over because they were already working in vineyards in, in Santa Barbara. And armed with English, really good loops. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and, and just ambition. Um, he learned everything that Marcos and Enrique knew, caught the attention of Jeff Newton, who's like, the godfather of, of viticulture. Like, you know, he's like Jim Clendenin. He is what Jim Clendenin is to like wine. Mm -hmm. Jeff is behind the scenes for viticulture mm -hmm. in, in that generation. And um, and my dad had already seen Jeff's genius and like, okay, Jeff, I'm gonna plant this vineyard, you're gonna do it. And Jeff had, we were his first vineyard that he actually developed. He was managing vineyards, but hadn't yet planted one. And Jeff's like, okay, I got a guy for you who's gonna be the Stoltman manager. Um, only issue is he doesn't have a green card, so you're gonna have to sponsor him. So Marcos and Enrique had uh, had uh, gotten uh, to Santa Barbara in the earlier in the 80s, mm -hmm. and they were able to get amnestia, uh, but Ruben was too late. So officially, Ruben began to work for us in 1994. Um, today, he and Maria are full citizens, and you know Matt Ketman, a journalist, named him the Grape Whisperer. I mean, it is magical to be out with him in the vineyard, like just the way he touches leaves without even thinking, you know, he's like sensing how dry they are, mm -hmm. touches the tips, you mm -hmm. know, like the shoot tips. Mm -hmm. um, he's just the most talented guy I've ever met. I mean, Ruben came to me in the summer of 09 and he said, Petey, I know how stressed out you are every pay, pay period. Like, I know you don't have credit. I went to my bank 
and I got a hundred thousand dollar loan approved. Like what what employee ever does that? Like if there had ever been a doubt about Ruben, which there wasn't, it would have been solved right then. Um, luckily, like I got through. That's like, yeah, yeah. this is backup. Like you said, what employee does that? Like literally, they'd be like, like about you know, I mean, you had sponsor, but like everybody knows he's dope. He can be like, hey, thanks guys, but you know, I I can go. X, Y, he fucking, he probably could win anywhere. He could probably win up to Napa. He could win anywhere. Now, wow. I, I found out later that, like, Jeff, like, had to sit down through him, like, and had to explain, like, dude, like, I know their situation. Like, they're 50-50, Ruben. You better have a plan B. And Ruben's like, no, PD will do it. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. Oh, so let's, uh, let's talk about, so what is, La Quadrilla, mean the crew. Okay. Yeah. So this goes back. Like my dad had been searching for vineyard land uh, throughout the eighties, and I bet he was really annoying because he's the type of guy just question, question, question. <laughs> Fucking like, lawyers, I, man. I get him all the time. Like, right? I'm trying to do a pre-release seminar, and club members up like, hey, like you know, twenty questions, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I got a hundred people here, <laughs> and um, and. One thing that bummed him out is a lot of these wineries that he loved, that he was collecting, as he got into the nitty-gritty with either the vineyard or the winemaker, he realized that they were relying on a migrant crew to come in for pruning. All right, see you later, good luck. And then again for harvest. And he knew enough because his law career has always been representing a worker against like big company or oh, an wow. insurance company. So he knew enough about migrant culture. Like it, it's not a, it's not a very you know healthy situation yeah you know parents are either leaving their children with relatives or they're bringing their children with them and the children aren't getting any education and my dad asked ruben like is there a way to employ full-time if my dream you know that i've been dreaming about since you know the 70s is to come true um is there a way to employ full-time um, and I want to know the people who work for me. I want to know the, their kids. I want to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that they have stability. And Ruben said, yeah, Tom, you want to plant 152 acres over 10 years. Like we have a ton of work to do. <laughs> um, like, and Ruben knew that it, it would give him a huge privilege, right? Not, not offering a week of work, right. offering a career. Right. Like you're going to get the right. best, the brightest, right. the most reliable. Right. And so Ruben immediately assembled 15 people, you know, they became a family unit and every time i would i would come up um you know for we'd have a barbecue and we'd play volleyball and like i said drink beers tequila would come out at, at sundown um and just you know I, I fell in love with everybody and um what happened next is that we kind of we finished that initial planting and ruben sensed that we we're kind of falling into a rhythm so ruben being ruben said okay crew I'm giving you a quadra, a block of the vineyard. You now own it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're now the farmer, not the worker. And his goal was to give him, give the crew pride of ownership, something to tell their their parents back in Mexico, rah, rah, rah. And he immediately saw change. And the crew was way more engaged, paying attention to every different methodology and different fridals, and then applying what they communally decided to, to their quadra. And um, he let the crew get grow confident in it you know there are a couple of hiccups along the way again back then we we're we we're selling most of the fruit we just began to make wine and um and finally at a barbecue reuben goes to my dad and uh, they're just drinking wine together and um and my dad actually says like you know what the one thing that's still bugging me is that 
you and I are the only people like enjoying wine. Pete's over there with the crew drinking Corona Familiar. Right. You know, I see bottles of tequila, right. you know, right, like right. in the lineup. Um, you know, the crew's out there doing this crazy, like painstaking labor every day to make these wines incredible, yet they don't enjoy it. Mm. And Ruben's like, well, actually, like, we could check this idea out. Like, I've been giving the crew their own training block, and they take a lot of pride in it. Like, and my dad's like, oh, my God. We need to isolate that and make a wine for them to enjoy. Like, it's their wine. And that's what we did. So, boom. Uh, and we didn't put a Surgeon General on it, I don't think. Um, you know, like, we didn't want want the crew to, like, get out and resell it. Right. And that first finish, I think, it's like, like a lot of cases per person so everybody threw big parties yeah because they didn't have anywhere to put all these cases right and um and um you know servers started hearing about it like going to the party and like coming into work like boss why don't we carry the crew wine at Stoltman? you know my cousin's on the crew it's really good we need to support them and um and so the night's vintage we put a Stoltman label on it laquadria that was already their self-titled name and we started selling it and giving them the, giving them the money so that's been you know that was like i think oh three was the first vintage and that was the way we operated through oh eight just you know that little block that was the cruise wine it was a bottle they could bring back to mexico to share with their mm. friends and family and like it, it was it was really cool shit uh, there's so so much to take in right there man like you know as i'm watching as i'm watching uh god i can see it in my head but i'm drinking didn't have I had a tuna fish sandwich for lunch. Blah, blah, blah. Oh my god, what's that show? Promised Land. <laughs> As I'm watching Promised Land, right on a, <laughs> which is now on Hulu, which is all about which is all about the vineyard workers, you know, um, like, and thinking back to Cesar Chavez, this the strike, and and how Gallo was not happy when he told the grape, you know workers to go on strike like but your family's commitment to equity with your workers is just it's it's i'm glad you get you're sharing the story with us because like it's like it's unheard of and having lived in california like people you know people do people like oh, i want to go work at harvest i'm like you don't want to work a fucking harvest bro <laughs> that is back breaking work so that you empowered people like they they were like they had ownership and when and, and everything's changes once you have ownership in something you know, it's beautiful. And I've had this wine before and it is just beautiful. I was also thinking we got to get Ruben a fucking Modelo commercial. You know how they like all those Modelo commercials are like he started from nothing and he did like oh. when he does drink beer, when Ruben does drink beer, it's Modelo. You know what I mean? Like, like he needs a Modelo commercial, bro. <laughs> all right. We got to back up though to Promised Land. Back up. <laughs> so there, there are two things. And I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. I, I didn't really read my uh, my contract with ABC or whoever it was, but a ton of B-roll is our vineyard. Because <laughs> so, we're closer to LA. Yeah, that. That, may, that would make sense. Uh, yeah, they're up there like with a full crew. For we a don't do days. a lot of edits. I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah. No, no, I don't think. I don't think. I, but, yeah, I'll double check it. Double but, check. We'll, yeah. we'll cut that out if not, but hopefully no. we don't have to. No, it's all good. It's, you know, I, I won't, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, the other thing though, like this might very well be like the only podcast, the last podcast I ever do. <laughs> like no, no joke. Oh. Well, thank you. Because, and not only because you're incredible and, and where do I go from here, but um, 
a studio is, has like courted Ruben for a full feature motion picture about his life. So I can't blow up Ruben's story too much. Yeah, no, that's know, fine. To, no, 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 that's no. no I'm saying in the future, right? Yeah, yeah. They, hey, there's no contract signed. No, right that's now. cool. Um, uh, but I was <laughs> how th- cool that a movie about Ruben. But I'm telling you, as we were, t- as you were telling me about Ruben, and we had talked about this before we came. We were like, you're like, dude. Um, and, and this is what I love about this. Like, I I can drink, but sometimes I'm a little guy, and I'm just caught up in the emotion. But like, I'm like, was it during the podcast? He said. <laughs> Ruben, we're coming in town. I think it was it was before, but um, I know a way we can get a podcast in when Ruben's here. I know a way, so we're gonna make that happen. Yeah, so Ruben, I'm bringing Ruben. He's never been to New York before. We're, I'm bringing him. Um, um, I'm really excited to to like when I'm in New York, dude. Like I'm going back and going to sleep. Like, or actually, I take that back. I have like three hours of laptop work, and then I'm going to sleep. Right. Oh, when Ruben and I are gonna be in New York together, like we need to do like three restaurants. They were like, fire it, up, fire it. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to go. I don't need. I don't. I don't need to go to the dance club with Ruben. But we're gonna eat. Like we're we're gonna do one dish, two dishes at like three different spots. So. Um, I'm yeah doing, doing I, I like Ruben and I went to uh, Ruben uh, Kyle and Matt my, our winemakers and I went to went to France together in 2019 and I was roommates with Ruben and um, yeah just like so much fun to travel with him and and then to look at the benefit of him like in the vineyards with Daniel Ravier at Tompier for an entire afternoon oh, and then and then watching him apply this modified goble that he learned like I mean it's just so so fun to to travel with Ruben and just watch him sponge everything up and then like no we can't do there they they get a lot more rain here but like check that out like and yeah forget about me going and tasting old old Tompier it's all about <laughs> <laughs> it's all about getting Ruben out into the vineyard and yeah we're we're standing around looking but Ruben's like ah all right I have an idea um yeah, I forgot where we're at. That's okay. Yeah. That's what we do here. We riff. This and this is this is this literally is. You said something earlier that is relevant to this podcast. Is like tech sheets are everywhere now. So I'm we're not gonna I'm not gonna I'm like we're on to the 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 Ballard Kane in Sangiovese. It's fucking sick. I love Calatelli's. Pete hooked me up. He he. I you know if you watch my IG lives, you my posts. I I rave about Calatelli's. Some people don't like them. I don't give a fuck. I like them. Um, I don't drink what you like. That's seriously drink what you like. But these wines, what I what I I also notice about your wines is that um, it's produces uh, you know things can get ripe in California. And I think you guys tamp that down a bit. Like there's there's beautiful ripe fruit here, but there's a lot of structure in, in each and every one of these wines. Except I mean, not even, they're so fresh. It's just it's just like pounded, right? Like chill it, pounded. But like Quadrilla is getting better. Um, the Sangiovese we just got into, I'm like, mm, it's just riper to me than a Chianti, but but not over the top, you know. Anyway, I digress. Um, so this is incredible. The what has happened, um, and he's like your only vineyard manager, right? Correct. Well, don't don't forget about his wife. <laughs> oh, so let's talk about. So we, we have a whole other partnership called Para Maria, and um, I think I had the rose. Do they have a rose? Yeah, yeah, we do a rose. I, 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 I did. Yeah. I had the rose. Okay, talk and about that, that's just like Ruben and Maria never took a cut of the quadria. They wanted all that money to go to the going crew. to the workers. Yeah. I mean, Ruben and Maria, they're the American dream in one generation, right? Mm. Quadria is all about making sure the American dream can be fulfilled in in maximum two, right? Yeah. Give give stability to these families and the coolest thing that's happened of, of late with La Quadria, well, a bunch of cool shit has happened but um, April 2nd of last year um, we had our mobile health unit 
arrived to the vineyard and Ruben and I and Jessica Gaska and a lot of people like took a village, right, for this to happen. Um, 150 vaccine doses. Mm-hmm. Got my entire crew vaccinated. They're all boosted. Got uh, all of um, Ruben's uh, crews in Ballard Canyon vaccinated. One of the nurses on the mobile unit is a daughter of a former Quadria member. Shut the fuck up. So already, already. My, my producer, over, she's like, she's like, I love this guy. I'm only buying stuff and wines for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's righteous. <clears throat> And 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 righteous and to me, I mean that that's just, it's just right. It's righteous. It's like that's what you do for people you care about. Clearly, it's a huge family over there. Um, that's amazing. That's you're, amazing. You're really good at what you do because you you saw us tearing up and you 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 filled it. <laughs> and now I'm back. I had a sip of Sanjo. <laughs> Um, thank you. But, thank you. I mean, it was already such a happy day, like light at the end of the, of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, we're all getting vaxxed. Uh, but then to see the big picture of Quadria happen. Yeah. But um, one thing about – oh, oh, we're talking about Maria. We can't, yes. we can't yeah, shortchange yeah, please, Maria. But yeah, yeah, please, please. Yeah. We were talking about Maria. So, so you know, Ruben's pretty famous now, the grape whisperer. Mm-hmm. He's, his picture's been in every magazine, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's on, like, texts with Antonio um, uh, Alberto Antonini and Michelle Roland and everybody, right? Um, but Maria, like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, nobody knew about her. Even though when Ruben's off getting his photo taken, Maria is running the crew. Like she's in charge of the 30 full timers on the vineyard. So, you know, I told Ruben, like, we need to do something together. Like, you know, you don't take a cut of quadria. Like you now manage with now his partner, Jeff, the godfather, all these great vineyards. And Ruben had been playing around with, with making wine, right? Because it was his only way of testing one variable in the vineyard was to control the winemaking. Mm. And so he would like prune one row a different way than the next, and then, you know, make a barrel each of those, keeping every other variable the same. And we call that wine Echo por Ruben, made by Ruben. And they were great, but they were tiny production. I'm like, Ruben, let's blow this up. You know, let's get a little scale, like deliver this quality, but at, at a price point, you know, if we, if we make a fair amount of wine, like over deliver, cause the, it's what, it's your vineyards that count. Right. And through your, through your management contracts, we can get all this fruit and, and make killer wine at, at, at a killer price. And, um, and then like, so we, we had this grand plan. Right. And, uh, and I kind of like, I knew we needed, this had to be about Maria, like, because like, she's too important. Like it's Ruben, Ruben, Ruben all the time. Cause of course he's Ruben Solorzano, but, um, we ended up, we were having a big party under our oak tree. And of course there's a ton of tequila, the band is blaring and, uh, Maria and Jess are just dancing it up. And between every song they have a tequila and they go back out. And finally Jess is like, okay, no more tequila. I, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know how. And they, they call each other Patrona. So they both call each other Patrona. And like Patrona, like no more tequila for me. Like I'm done. I don't know how you do it. I know what time in the morning you wake up. I know how hard you work. She goes, yeah, I'm a tequilote. You're an owl. She goes, you don't know my story. Like you don't. I'm like, I, she just knew her story, but like an owl. Right. And she called Ruben over to get like, you know, verification of this. So it turns out that. Santa Cruz de las Flores in, in, in Jalisco 
they're famous in the region for their great parties that go all night. And like, sure enough, I was there a couple months ago and like there were three different mariachi bands playing while I was trying to go to sleep at like two in the morning from every direction in town. <laughs> I'm like, ah, the Tokelotes are out. And so like everybody from all the villages around, like including Ruben, Ruben grew up in a hamlet out, up in the hills. Like mm-hmm. when they go to party, they go down there and, and it's the, the culture of the town and, um, and they are the Tecolotes and, and actually just told me about this like the next morning like and i'm like oh my god like because we go nocturnal for three months we intentionally have a really spread out harvest mm-hmm. like with all the so fresh wines in the beginning we, right. plant, we were planting more muvedra late ripening because you want the goal is always to harvest only with our full-time crew and not bring in additional help nice we go nocturnal for all of that right we have a 40 degree drop in temperature. Yep. Um, so we're trying to lock in that freshness, which you were alluding to about all of our wines. You know, the limestone picking at night, like we're really trying to get that fresh uh, fruit purity. So boom, like the, the label was born. We needed that picture of the owl, which Carrie drew. Um, and then, yeah, the full name is Para Maria de las Tecolotes, for Maria of the Night Owls. And now Maria's famous, so like we we didn't have to do that, but I still love the label, and yeah, it's a it's a project I take a lot of pride in, and and oh, and and then uh, I knew that wasn't enough because like Ruben love Ruben drinks better than me, like <laughs> like there are very few people who drink as good as Ruben. Um, I mean, he loves world class wine. Like, I mean, he wants to dive in and think about yeah. it. So I knew like Paramaria is great. We're over delivering for the quality. Like, I drink it. I love it. Um, but, uh, you know, we were still like, Ruben needed a legacy wine. So we played around like, okay, Ruben, what if we take like one ton from each of your vineyards in Ballard Canyon, Honada, Stoltman, Larner, you know, Rusa, Kimsey, mm-hmm. and make like a super Ruben Syrah from Ballard Canyon. And that didn't like, that didn't make sense. It's like, you know, we're all about like the magic of one mm-hmm. exposure. It's like a beautiful high-end wine of showing when we find that magic, isolate it and bottle it. So we went back to the drawing board and I'm like, why didn't we think about this earlier? Like we had four fallow acres literally behind Ruben and Maria's house on the vineyard. Like we have to give that to Ruben. That needs to be their estate. They're going to plant whatever they want. And that's going to be their legacy wine. And I went to my dad with it. My dad's like, yeah, great idea. And went to Ruben and 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 Maria and and of course they're through, through the moon. So we call that wine Sun and Earth, um, the translation of their last name Solarzano, and it's a co-ferment. Of course, it's vineyard. Uh, Ruben is the vineyard. Yep. So we we're trying to take our winemaking out of it. So it's a Muvedra Syrah Grenache co-ferment. And Ruben's like planted it. So it all ripens together using like the morning side, the afternoon side, the plateau. Um, so one of our coolest vineyards in, 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 in the entire parcel. So Yeah, we're going to have Ruben on the pod just so I can get that fucking wine. Sounds dope. Um, <laughs> that's, this is a... Uh, this is just uh, incredible. Um, so now, um, this is multi generational on every level. I remember, like, when I started, you know, I knew about you guys. I lived in Santa Barbara, but like, when I started following Instagram, like, it's also pretty fun out there. Like, you guys got like these crazy fucking water slides, and, you, and like, like the dog didn't put the dog down a slide into the. I mean, like, what what type of farming practices do you have? At your vineyards. Well, first of all, we need to address a, an issue that I'm very passionate about. Let's do that. You know, when I show up to a vineyard, 
and you know drive around in the pickup truck with you know the owner the vineyard manager um i'm very disturbed when i see a naked reservoir mm. i mean they're, they're usually perfect hill exposures leading down to the reservoir like why don't you have a zipline why don't you have a hundred foot water slide that you can ride a surfboard down into said reservoir? Why don't you have a BMX bike ramp? Like it's just sitting there for the ducks. The ducks don't mind. You're not going to bother the ducks. They'll move. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, you know, yeah, we're, we're getting certified to meter biodynamic <laughs> this year. <laughs> Because I've seen all those shits on Instagram. There's been all these. So, Psalm TV, right. that was the best. Couch. They had three camera angles, and the drone was running out of batteries. So they're like, one take, one take. I'm like, you know how hard? There are no fins in the surfboard, right? You're like sliding all over. like, And you go fast, right? I, I was like, that shit. I was like, listen, I remember 1976, West Point, Georgia, red clay soles on the Georgia-Alabama border. Fucking hill like this. I got on a skateboard. I'm like, I'm gonna go from the top. Dude, I saw that. I was like, oh hell no. I still got scars to this day. And I saw that surfboard. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, so we're we're always open to suggestions. Um yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a project of a lifetime. You know, we put in the the zip line, then the bike ramp and slide and the nice thing about some rubber is you can look at the transverse range, you know, the, what creates point conception and what makes all the magic happen. Because yep. Santa Barbara County, we're completely open to the West. And then behind us, we have the Mojave, the Sierra Nevada's end. So that's a big vacuum of hot air rising. We just get the maritime influence, right? So we can look to the South, you know, five miles. And if there's a fog bank above the ridgeline on a weekend, we're like, oh, not a beach day. Yep. Group text, reservoir. And <laughs> And and it's so much better. I mean, because you know about the. I mean, Santa Barbara proper. It's all. It's like June gloom. Like fucking. It's it's just like literally. You go to Santa Barbara in June. Like literally, the sun comes out in time to set. That's what it does. But it's 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 kind of what makes it special. That's a pretty comical thing, by the way. Like when you get on uh, the Denver direct flight. Okay. And like everybody, it's like you know, it's the one hop to Denver to Santa Barbara, and everybody but you are going on vacation. <laughs> and and the pilot gets on. All right, it's uh, they're doing that Chuck yeah. Chuck impersonation. Yeah, like, right. It's uh, drizzly, fifty degrees, and and everybody's like, "No, he's joking. It's June." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, welcome to Santa Barbara." <laughs> yeah, we're arriving in Santa Barbara. It's uh, you know, it's overcast, it's about fifty-five degrees. Uh, if Santa Barbara's your last day, uh, enjoy the June gloom. <laughs> Santa Barbara's your home. Well, you know what the fuck to expect. Um, that's so. Um, so, um, how many children do you have now? <laughs> By the way, I think we left a major cliffhanger. My dad having cancer, and then we did, and then the and then the, and then the, uh, the vineyards in default and rah rah. But know. you know, but I'd rather talk about my kids. I mean, but we here's what we know. We know, we know. Like, like y your dad said yes to the project with Ruben. Um, we know he's 72. <laughs> he's alive. He's alive. With, and a, he, with and, a glorious COVID beard. Listen, and and listen, anybody who moves from Ohio at 17, starts their own business in California, he's a tough motherfucker. So I, I you know, um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's just it's it's incredible. So yeah, so like you're taking over. Let's go. We can go back. You're taking over. Dad's got a diagnosis. He's going through chemo, surgery, all that shit you do with cancer. Um, no money's coming in. Banks are shutting down. Ruben, Ruben um, goes his bank. It's a hundred k. What what was that? What was that lifeline? What did it do? Was that like? Was it, did that like literally save the vineyard? I mean, like what? yeah. And my dad had a couple other friends. So like he had to go and like, dude, personal loan, please. And yeah. and so we, we, you know, and I was out. I was out there. You know, like all over the country trying to sell wine. Oh, you told to, me like, you put together a pitch deck. Like, you well, like, well, dude, and well, uh, that was the banks. But like okay. we had like at the time like eight distributors. <laughs> like I was just trying to pound the pavement, selling Syrah in the middle of the Syrah glut. Right. Um, which, you know, like that was the first time I heard the joke. I was here in New York, actually, and I was in a wine shop and this old guy's like, oh, yeah, like I'll, I'll buy your Syrah if you can stand here and sell those five bottles collecting dust to a customer and then I'll, I'll replace it with yours. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, kid, what's the difference between Syrah and syphilis? I can get rid of syphilis. Damn. Was it that bad? Because I had left it. Was it that bad for a period? It was that oh, yeah. bad. It was oh, that yeah. bad. It was that's bad. <laughs> no, so anyway, I can get it, rid of syphilis. <laughs> I can get rid of it. Um, <laughs> so, so we we were, dude. It was it was it was sixteen months, man. Like I, but but I would in hindsight, I would never, like I needed that, man. Like I will never take the vineyard for granted, you know. And and I learned later, like just dragged me to like a, a leadership retreat up at Esalen and in, in Big Sur, mm. and I learned. Um, For all you guys who don't know, Esalen is like the ultimate hippie shit in California. It's dope like, though. It's but... on on the cliff and yeah, Big Sur yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with the naked hot springs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I learned that for like the first shit decade of my of my leadership at Stoltman, I was a trend or I was a pace setting leader where I was so fanatically working all hours of the day. Like that that culture was like passed off to my team. Right. And thank God my team, their heart has always been been in it. But like, you know, apparently that's not a healthy way to lead. And I've I've worked on that. Okay, good. Um, but um no, so <laughs> So, uh, you know, we, we we got some, you know, money coming in from wine sales and like, God, like the negotiations with trying to buy glass when you still owe your glass company money. <laughs> that must be a fun right. conversation. Right. So um, August of 2010, we're about to, to uh, start harvesting. And I don't know how I'm going to pay for all the harvest costs. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd gotten this glimmer of light a year before. Uh, Nancy Palumbo, she was an amazing person. She's no longer with that bank. She told me, Pete, if you hit your projections that you've, that you've given me, we can get a deal done. You got to do it for a year. I'm like a year. Like I, like we are in default. Um, and I, I hit the projections and, um, Nancy and her boss got on the phone with me and my dad and mom. And they said, okay, like we're, we're going to get, you know, like we're, we're going to do this. This is a verbal commitment. Um, you know, it'll take a while for all the paperwork, but you know, we're, we're going to refinance soon. And man, like immediately call, I call Ruben and I'm like, Ruben, we're going to be good. Like we got a new bank. And I'm expecting like, ah, BD, you did it. Come up to the house. Let's drink, let's drink tequila. Like we're having a party. And I've never heard Ruben so deadpan. Was, okay. You are now out of excuses. You're finally coming to Jalisco this Christmas. Oh, you shit. and Jess. And wow. then we'll celebrate. 
mm. because my entire like you know teenage adult life, he was always like, Pete, one day you need to come and see my home." And so that trip was incredible. Like 15 full-time people at the time. I hugged, kissed, hung out with, danced with 1,500 people, right? Um, I got to meet both of Ruben's parents before they passed. I got to meet Jose before mm. they passed. Like monumental trip for me. Um, and the last night, you know, we'd gone up to Fortaleza to see Guillermo in, in tequila. Brought a ton of tequila home. And um, that's all we drink on the vineyard, by the way. Um, when we when we do drink tequila, we drink Fortaleza, and um, and just like I had this like moment of clarity in in the in the tequila fog, and I'm like Ruben, like if if just doing the right thing that you and Dad like did, right, has had this kind of impact on on so many people and the pride that you know second cousins had and and then their cousin being on the crew and knowing that they had their wine um had a great job in california i'm like now that we're refinanced we can blow this up we need to make it way bigger so we went home re-blended the 09 vintage and that's been it's a quadria ever since the 09 vintage it's 10 percent of 10 percent of our production from the estate and all the profit goes to the crew divided by seniority and um, it's grown so big that now we give an, uh, a bonus on every hour worked on the weekly paycheck. So like you have your your rate and then you get a dollar, two dollar, three dollar, four dollar on on top of that, right? It's a bonus every week. And that's to elevate the quality of daily life. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, we still give an, a bonus that continues to increase every year um, for savings, for cushion, and um, just the crew that we have, like, we. Like I, I can't say that actually. <laughs> like I was about to invite burglary, but like, <laughs> we don't worry. Like we don't micromanage. Yep. Um, it's just, and like I can't imagine. It's such a beautiful place, mm. and it, I can't imagine that the people aren't proud of what they do. That yeah. they don't take passion. That they're not passionate. That they don't take pride in what they're doing. It makes the terroir like even more and that and these wines i mean like we just popped the best wine we've ever made yeah and and because you were because syrah has been this theme right so i was like fuck that i'm pulling because there's a lot of wine here producers not drinking she's lame some dry fucking march shit i was like listen if you just took one day off a a week you'd have 52 dry days dry january's bullshit too um but anyway um and i was like well, let's talk about redefining Syrah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could not make this fun without Quadria. Um, 6,000 vines breaker, head pruned. Um, we can, you know, every vine in our vineyard, we only touch by hand. We can weed with our tractor. Um, you know, we can, we do a couple sulfur sprays a year, mm-hmm. a couple of stylet oils uh, a year. Um, that's done by tractor and the rest of the vineyard. Um, we pull the fruit trailer. Uh, you know, tractors give us a lot of efficiency, but when it comes to touching the vine, we only do it by hand. Um, the great places and and the sun and earth, which I mentioned, are planted so tightly, there's no way to ever mechanize, right? So this is like, this is doubling down on quadria, mm. right? And um, and then you also look at the material. So my, my older son is named August. Okay. Um, and uh, he happens to be named after August Klopp in in uh, Cornas. Uh, my my uh, younger son is Otto Renard, Renard being um, a parcel that that Klopp uh, owns in in Cornas. And some of the vines happen to be about like 108, 109 years old. 
Um, and, and this wine was inspired by, by the plant material that we saw there. Um, so we began um, this vineyard with 50 cuttings. Um, part of this vineyard is a mother vine. Um, to back up, this is all own rooted, right? So oh, in, shit. The, in the Northern Rhone, like you have this amazing pre-clonal Syrah. It's what in Cote d'Ivoire they call Serene, mm-hmm. right? Because nurseries for the clones, they breed only the strongest right. every year. They've been doing that since World War II, right? After World War II, it became, wine became global. A nursery will go out of business if their vines fail, you know, half the time and the guy down the street, 80% of the vines live and turn a profit, right? Yep. So they're, you know, of course, like this clonal material after 70 years of propagating only the strongest has very little resemblance to the preclonal. So in Cote d'Ivoire, they don't even call the preclonal stuff Syrah. They've they've reverted to their ancestral name in Ampuis. They called it Serene. And then the clonal shit is, is Syrah, right? Okay. Um, that's how profound the difference is. So um, we're, we're propagating five different uh, preclonal strains, uh, but this stuff that, that is named after August Clop Renard, um, we uh, we started with 50 cuttings. Uh, part of the block is a, a mother vine. So with 49 of the cuttings, we um, we were able to get 150 new vines the next year, 1,200 new vines. It's kind of exponential, right? So by 2016, we had 12,000 vines in two acres. Um, but then we left the 50th vine in the middle of a big hill. And instead of cutting it and, and putting it back in the ground, um, we layered it, the French word provenage. So we just layered the growth, dug a little trench, and then poked it back up in the air along the next post and covered that trench up with dirt to keep the the daughter connected with the mother, mm. right? So we had three shoots growing from the first vines. So we were able to do that three times. So then we had four vines, right? And then we, from those four vines, we got nine granddaughters and then 18 great-granddaughters. So we're up to, in 2022, we have 800 interconnected vine heads, one vine. And in 2031, the the hill will be complete at 2,000 vines. Like apparently, like Domaine Romani Conti mm-hmm. was only like four or five vines through 1944. And then it finally succumbed to flocks or something, and right. they replanted it on rootstock. So if you ever, you know, a true baller only drink, drinks pre-45 DRC. I just, you know, we, we had in like, I don't know, I do so many of these. Like, was it last week or two weeks ago we had Adrian Shaw? We had the guy who represents DRC here. Um, and uh, was it, Do I have my year right? Did you talk about that or no? No, we didn't get it, but it's something around. It's around there. Right. If I, if I, from my own wine knowledge, um, because he was just telling crazy stories like you, but different type of crazy stories, crazy dope stories. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that people don't, I mean, that's another thing like, like war fucked France up. Like, so like champagne, like, like, like I remember a story, Robert Haas, I had the opportunity to meet Robert Haas when I was in Santa Barbara. I went out to Tablas Creek, like in 2002, Antonio took me right. <laughs> to 102 and we had lunch with Robert Haas and, um, Someone asked, you know, like, well, what's the best wine you ever had? Because, you know, vineyard brands, Burgundy, Rhone, you know. And he was like, I was like, it was like, it was like a pre-war Burgundy. But here's the thing. He said that shit was like 15% alcohol. Like people, people get like, like these are incredible wines, but like, I, I don't like when people trip on the alcohol kind of things. Like people don't realize like they used to, the wines like from France used to be, be that fucking high. Like it, that's, it, that was the vintage. It was hot. It was ripe and it was fucking delicious. But um, yeah, no, if you're a baller, no, dude, who, who listen, you, you're not a baller. You're a fucking billionaire. If you're drinking only pre 45 <laughs> fucking DRC, dude. 
<laughs> and there's only like three bottles left if, if we're honest <laughs> with ourselves but uh that's an amazing story like right. so this you, it, it's fucking literally it, it's all connected yeah yeah and so that so that that mother vine is incorporated into this wine that we're having we're having the 2019 great places august james um one day when she's you know bigger um we can make one bottling from only the mother vine Oof. and i will tell you this is so um it's on the savory side of Syrah. It's really, I mean, it's got great fruit, but it, it is, it, it's living on that savory side. Because the Central Coast, you know, you get California, you get that big fruit, but this is, this is firmly, and the color, oh my God, the color. This is only the, really the second vintage. So Augie was born, August, my son Augie, um, was born in 17. Mm-hmm. And um, Ruben, his godfather, combed through all 12,000 vines and he found 400 pounds. <sighs> of of grapes and we made 30 big three liter bottles for august's birth year and the birth year of his vineyard so that's all for him right i've opened one so far yeah um but it's then gonna it, be a hell of a yeah. 21st birthday party <laughs> right and then in 18 we had like 100 cases oh, this we had like 114 cases so if you think about that 114 cases for 12,000 vines that's nine vines per bottle <laughs> no wonder why they started breeding this preclonal stuff for yeah, for uh, you know, for strength, right. so you could actually make a profit with Syrah. Right, right, right. What do they call that? Uh, vigorous, make it more vigorous. Right, right yeah. Right. Um, so hopefully one day we already have Otto's block. He faces the afternoon sun mm-hmm. with the wind, so it's inefficient photosynthesis. So we pick Otto's block, the same material, about ten days after Augie, and that's the only difference. Um, and then we have, you know, um, a project, um, Ruben actually, of course, being Ruben, he started this, he, um, after he went to Cote Rotis, uh, he was helping Rene Rostang, uh, prune, <laughs> prune the Cote Blanc. Ruben's vineyard. life does yeah. not suck. Well, he, he was pruning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he started, and then he like, he, he mimicked identically the Cote Blanc vineyard full on with the, with the Echelas TPs. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, hopefully all five, uh, strains will make the cut and, uh, we're going to have, uh, five different great places fine. So I, I named, uh, the great places after my favorite vineyard name in the world. Whenever I would look at the map of Cote Rotis, mm-hmm. my eyes would just fall on right in the middle, Le Grand Place. Oh the, yeah. The great places. And, oh. uh, yeah, I love the Clue Cell Roque, uh, Le Grand Place. So that's where the name comes from. It's all of our best exposures are planted like this. So pre-clonal. Own rooted six thousand vines breaker only worked by hand, and um, you know like I don't like points really don't don't affect us. And Stoltman, I'm really really blessed to be in a position where like I'm not waiting for points to send out to retailers. But I'll tell you like like when Galoni looked at me and he goes, "This is the best one you've ever made." I said, "I know." Why? And I told him the story I just told. And he goes, what are you going to do when every California Syrah winemaker wants this material? And so it's a deal, you know, that I can't talk about and rah, rah, rah. Like, it's just, it's for me and my family. It's okay. And then he turned to Ruben and he goes, uh, what are you doing Saturday? And, <laughs> and Ruben said, I don't know. Can you take me to that block? <laughs> and so Ruben, you know, he has a lot of, Vineyard owns, or he has a lot of owners. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, like, okay, he has Galoni in the car. He has to take him to a couple, you know, Santa Rita Hill sites. Yeah. Yeah. And Galoni's just like impatient. Like, when are we going to go see? Come on, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, you know what I came here to see? <laughs> right, Shit. Right. And then you get there, and like, 
like Galonia washed like every row and like because I told him how loose the, the clusters are tiny and then there are only like on average like 19 grapes like there's a grape, a grape there a grape there that's not like a typical no. clone 470 where you have a full cluster like you know shatter rah, rah, rah. Um, so yeah it, it, I'm really excited about um, and it, it, it meant a lot because you know this block we began in 2012 and you know we have barely any wine and just the, the I mean, I think when you say that I'm like, imagine when these vines are forty years old and then fifty years old and then two, three when they're a hundred years old. That's why that's why Galoni only gave it ninety seven. Yeah. He's a smart dude. He's like he because he knows how young the vineyard is. Yeah. He can't give like, he can't go higher than that. He really because like, can't. dude, you know the vineyard's a baby, right? Right, right. right. Um, and it was just so cool like to to get that like third party validation, you know, that like I'm on the right path. I've been blowing so much resources on this. You know, it takes one person per acre per year to farm these. Oh. That's why nobody does this. You know, that's why we're addicted to our tractors. But yeah. you know, that, that's part of big these thirteen acres are a big part of why we have thirty full time workers instead of, you know, fifteen that we had back in the day. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Hey man, um fuck, we're we're coming up on the time. Um is there a bottle that's that like bottle of wine that you know, you're you you, know, you told me about your dad and he got introduced to Bordeaux and fine wine and up to Napa and buying barrels at the premier Napa Valley wine auction. And then you'd grown it. But was there a bottle for you where you were like, I love wine. I'm going to do wine. It's what my family does. Is there, was there like, obviously you love Syrah. Was there, what, what was there a bottle that really just rocked your world? Yeah. I was getting, beginning to understand wine in, in high school, uh, just, you know, paying attention to it at the dinner table. And I was working, um, in a high-end Greek restaurant, Papadakis Taverna. Um, but it wasn't until uh, my dad took me to Piedmont and he bought three different vineyard designated 1982s in my birth year. And they're all in big, you know, Barolo bulbs in front of me. And uh, I mean, delicious food out on the table and having those three eighty. and I think I was around 16. So they were, they were of age, right? And all of a sudden, like, it opened up, like, like, boom, that's all about the rose petal. That's all about, I'm getting this, like, pine, foresty thing. And this is kind of somewhere in the middle, a little denser. Like, holy shit. Like, I get it. 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 And, like, and it, it wasn't, like, I, you know, I was, like, you know, thinking that, like, okay, I figured it out. Obviously, like, I then learned that I don't know shit. Um, but that that was when kind of my brain exploded. I'm like, this is actually really, like, fantastic. And, like, this is why my dad is so, you know, fanatical about this. And, um, yeah, that was, that was cool. Fucking Pete Stoltman. Thanks so much for coming in today, man. I really, this was, like, I, like, I, I tell people, like, every guest just is, you're so different. You're all fucking awesome, man. And you fucking ripped this shit. Thank you so much for being here. Doing this with me, man. So much fun. Love getting to know you a little bit better. Can't wait to come visit you out in Santa Barbara. Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I love I love all my uh, restaurants and, and wine shops. But, um, I mean, our wine club, it's ridiculous. Two releases a year. Got the fresh subscribe for the bunches. Um, it keeps on growing. So if you want to directly support us, wine clubs where it's at. Otherwise, help out our fellow independent restaurants and, and, and retailers. Hit me up on, on Insta, Peter Stoltman. 
uh, Stoltman Vineyards and Stoltman So Fresh. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me. Oh my God. So listen, for all my listeners, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. You'll find the info on the wines we drank, uh, links to cool things we discussed. We'll put, uh, all, uh, Pete's, uh, fucking social links for the winery himself personally and, and so much more. Hey guys, this was another killer one. I could have talked to him for like four fucking hours because we have so many Santa Barbara stories to share and we'll get there. But until the next time, peace to all my mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and wine drinkers. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.